0: welcome back to basic Bible 101 today's lesson is going to pick up where we left off during the time of the exile and that was with um, Daniel remember we talked about Daniel and then Ezekiel both of those two had been ministering in different places to the to the Jews Daniel was in the temple and he was able to save his people and to live up to his uh, reputation for being a worshipper of the one true God while Ezekiel was down with the exiles you know prophesying that there they would be new life again and so today we're going to start with the book of Ezra. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah both of these two we're going to cover together and the reason is because they're similar um, in, in what was going on at the time. It'll give you a good picture of of what it was like with the exiles. Up until this time, remember, they had been basically slaves, and yet, you know, whenever there was turmoil with the government, which seemed to happen frequently when one king would take over, um, what had happened was Babylon, who had originally taken over Jerusalem, now had been taken over by the Medes and the Persians and the Medes and the Persians had sort of split their power and I'm not really sure how they divided it because we hear about Cyrus the king of Persia and then we hear about King Darius the king of the Medes and both seem to have power at different times here but we're going to look specifically at um, King Cyrus he was uh, the Persian king that the Lord just touched his heart and said it's time to let the Israelites go back home and so he considered himself I suppose rather open-minded because the very first part of Ezra we see that he is making a proclamation that the Israelites can go home and and worship their God and return to their land so some some do return and w- when they return they take are allowed to take with them some of the things that were stolen from the temple and so they go back and begin building the temple and they put it down the foundation and yet they get a lot of opposition from the tribes and uh, some of the uh, surrounding um, people who had kind of taken advantage of the fact that this wasn't Israelite territory anymore, and so they had sort of, you know, moved in. And so now that the Israelites were going back to Jerusalem, they felt threatened. And so we see this opposition in chapter 4, where the people surrounding them begin to murmur, and then they decide they're going to write to the king and complain about it. And by this time, they're under uh, King Artaxerxes, uh, Artaxerxes, something like that. Anyway, Xerxes. We'll call them Xerxes. Um, apparently, there's two of them there, Artaxerxes and Xerxes. These kings, and I'm not sure who had reigned when or over what, but um, they complain. And so the king tells, at the time, says, okay, stop, stop everything. We don't want them to do any building because it looks like there's going to be this big insurrection and they're going to try and revolt against their. Um, you know, their uh, current uh, kingdom, whoever was the king at that time. I think it's Artaxerxes, And so uh, so all the building stops, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Finally, they get a letter. Someone writes a letter to King Darius, who was the king of the Medes, and he issues an order that says, well, you know, maybe they were supposed to go back, maybe not, but let's do a search. And so the, he searches in the archives and finds that, yes, King Cyrus had told them they could go back and start building. And so he then proceeds to say, okay, y'all can go back and, and continue to rise up and, and rise your temple up and become, um, you know, you can worship your God and sacrifice there and all that. And so about this time, uh, Ezra comes along. Ezra is one of the priests, or from the line of the priests, and has been in exile. And while he's in exile, he is just really seeking God. One of the things you'll notice about the Israelites when they return back to Jerusalem is that they are very humbled people. And of course they're going to be, because look at all that they've gone through. And I think that memories of you know their long forgotten relatives who had been slaves in Egypt and and they didn't you know they didn't believe the prophets that told them they'd be there about 70 years they for all they knew they were going to be there forever and even though Ezekiel had said no no there's going to be new life built I think that they had been greatly humbled and sometimes I think that's what the Lord allows to happen to us when he needs to get our attention and when he needs to stop um, actions that are just leading us down the wrong path. And so we see here that Ezra comes, and as when he uh, comes, he is allowed to bring a letter from King Artazeres that says, um, Yes, that you are to um, honor his, you know. Uh, priesthoodness, that that he's going to come and lead the people. And so he returns to Jerusalem and they begin assembling the temple again and building up where they left off. And it's about this time that they're they're nearly done with the temple and um, Ezra is praying and he just pours out his heart to God because he so wants the people to turn back and be totally the Lord's. And what's sad is that you can, there's a, some verses that talks about how the people cried upon seeing the temple because they remembered King Solomon's temple and all that had been said about, you know, the finery of the King Solomon's temple. And this one was so much less. But, you know, in the days of Solomon, they were a wealthy nation and they could afford to inlay with gold and do all of the beautiful things that they were able to do with stones and such uh uh, rhinestone, well, I guess we would say jewels and such, in that were all inlaid, and uh, it was a very beautiful place, but now they are, they're poor, they really are starting over. So this temple is much, much less than the one that had been there, but nevertheless, they're they're grateful to finally see the temple again and be able to worship their God. They celebrate the Passover. It's during this time that uh, Ezra discovers or hears that several of the people of Israel have intermarried with some of the natives around there. And knowing that this was against God's law and the fact that their hearts would now be divided, they wouldn't totally be um, committed to Israel, he, he just prays and cries out and says, God, you know, what, what should we do? And he, he talks to the people, and the people, of course, are just as broken as he is. And they say, well, you know, we must do whatever you think we should do, we should do it. So Ezra um, leads the priest to saying, okay, we need to gather together everyone who has been, has married someone from a, a foreign nation near us or wherever, and is guilty of intermarriage. And so they, they come together, and, you know, it's so interesting. In the Old Testament, there. are their very um, God's great concern was that the people would worship him only and they would love him only and they He wanted no distractions for the people and that's why He had kept them isolated, really trying to destroy all their enemies and not intermarry. And then, as we move to the New Testament, Jesus preaches an entirely different message. He builds on it. He, he does um, go to the Jews and, and preach to the Jews. But his his law, his new law, the law of God that's written in your heart, it becomes one for all people. So we don't see the separation of tribes and nations and isolation in the New Testament at all. In fact, we see a very much a blending and a building up of the Jews, the Gentiles. Anyone who wants to believe in Jesus Christ is accepted and drawn in. So it's quite a bit different picture back in in the end of the Old Testament. As Ezra brings the people together he realizes that there's quite a few of them. In fact, so many that he just says, okay, well we're just gonna have to deal with these a few at a time so and we can't deal with it out here in the rain because they're standing out in the rain when they call them all together and so they set up appointments and they begin dealing with each case and for the and and basically had to um figure out what was fair and then ask the uh husband to send away their foreign wives and so many of them did and they had to send away their children too but that was basically what they were saying is um Ezra was saying is if you you either be committed to Israel and then stay here without your foreign wife or you go with your foreign wife and and start over uh, in their nation but you can't do both and it's really very wise thing really what he's doing is asking them to decide who they're going to be where their allegiance will lie okay when we get to the book of Nehemiah the building has has for the temple has finished, but the building of the wall outside the Jerusalem has stopped. And uh, Nehemiah, who is at the time the cupbearer, if you remember, the cupbearer is the one who um, takes the cup and tests it before it goes to the king, so that if it's poisonous, the cupbearer would die. And Nehemiah um, hears that. All that's going on, and he he cries about it, and he fasts, and he prays, and he says, "God, what should I do about this?" And uh, he knows that he has some pull with the king at this time. It's Artaxerxes, and um, he he decides over a period of time he's he's prayed this through, and he decides that he is going to approach the king. So one day he decides he just acts kind of sad around the king, and the king notices and says, "Well, what's wrong with you now?" It's a dangerous thing to draw attention to yourself in, in places where the king can absolutely just have your head cut off at, at a whim. And yet Nehemiah must have felt that he had enough of a relationship with Artazeres that he could go before him. And so what, what happens is um, Nehemiah has the opportunity to say, I heard about my, my people back in Jerusalem and they're, they're, they're not doing well. And so the king says, "Well, uh, what you know? What do you propose?" And so Nehemiah wants to go back and rebuild, help build, rebuild the wall. And not only does the king grant him permission to leave, but he sends with him letters that um, more or less give, grant him the power to be in charge while he's there and provides him with all of the materials that he's going to need to finish it. And so, and with the, um, like I said, letters of transport so that while he's traveling through these other countries that they won't uh, stop him on his way back to Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah, when he arrives, immediately begins uh, getting the people together and tell, you know, he surround you know, walks around the wall checks it out to see what needs to be done he does this at night because he doesn't want to cause a stir and once he kinda takes in all that is going that's going to have to happen to get this wall back up remember Jerusalem was pretty well beaten down and the temple was destroyed and so was the wall and so he knows that this is not going to be an easy task and so he gathers together the leaders of Jerusalem and says all right um, I've been sent, and I have the provisions to help us begin rebuilding the wall, and let's do it. And so the people just kind of rally behind him, and they say, okay, Nehemiah, we're going to do this. So they get, they start to work, and they're working cheerfully, and opposition comes along. Now the same problem that they had when they were building the temple is returning when they're building the wall, that the um, neighboring, uh, I guess you'd say, judges or whatever you want to call them in the neighboring areas that they actually answered in some way to the king um... started complaining and saying "Well, you will never do this and then they would say well um... you know it looks like you're just gonna cause an insurrection against the king and so forth and through all this Nehemiah remains resolute that he will see to it that the temple or that the wall is rebuilt Nehemiah is an excellent book on learning some of the skills of leadership in fact i'm currently doing a more in-depth study of nehemiah and i think that i have learned so much from it and so i would encourage you to look at this book in depth um, at a later time i realize we're still getting through the entire bible but mark this one somewhere to go back and really read it because the way that nehemiah handles opposition the way that he trusts god at every turn, when it looks it looks grim, when he hears that there's a plot against him to take his life, uh, all the way through it, he he stays on task. And when they're when they really do think that they're going to be invaded by some of the neighboring tribes, he um, gathers the people together by families and has them work on the wall with you know their uh, Tools for building the wall on one hand, and uh, a sword in the other, in case they have to fight. And he posts the guard to make you know to kind of warn everybody when, if that should happen, if they should see uh, the enemy approaching. And God just takes care of this situation. It's such a beautiful thing to watch this take place halfway through, the people get discouraged, as anybody would, because there's a lot of rubble. There's a lot of, you know, it's just ending up being such a physically demanding job. And so Nehemiah, um, and they start complaining to Nehemiah, saying, you know, because we're working on the wall, we're not working in the fields, and therefore we're not going to have any food for winter, and we're very concerned because we still have to pay all these taxes. So wisely, Nehemiah decides to make an appeal for the people. He decides to... Uh, talk to the governor of this area and find out what it would take to relieve some of the taxes. As it turns out, the people uh, charging the taxes are Jews themselves. And so Nehemiah more or less shames them into saying, how can you do this to your own people? And so they agreed to uh, release them from all of the taxing that had gone on up until then. What they were doing was not only were they... Taxing the people, but because the people couldn't pay the taxes, they were taking their children, uh, men, women, who, um, whoever they could get their hands on, as uh, in con- as contract labor. So that person had to work basically for the governors, and so obviously this was not a good situation, and the people didn't want to put any more of their loved ones into this kind of. Uh, it, more or less slavery, it wasn't really slavery, but it was a uh, contract labor situation where they would not be free to work for themselves for many years and so Nehemiah, like I said, just pretty much shames the these Jews and they agree, okay, you're right uh, It's interesting because you can have opposition from without. And opposition from within and in Nehemiah's case he had both he starts off with opposition from the neighboring um, leaders of the tribes and then he ends up with opposition among his own people and both of these he handles with amazing grace and um, wisdom all right let's take a minute and just look at the chapter 8 of Nehemiah where Ezra is reading the law to the people they finished the wall, they're celebrating. In fact, they managed to finish the wall in a little over, or right about 52 days. So you can see that Nehemiah had, because he was so resolute and he would not be detoured from his um, main task, you see that as a result, they, they accomplish a lot in a short period of time. So chapter 8, Ezra is reading the law to the people. Look down in verse 8. It says they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Okay, you see in there that it says Nehemiah's governor. He is actually appointed to that position. Uh, during this time, and so praise God that he put him in a p- position of leadership, uh, even recognized by the king. And so the people are mourning over the fact that they have so broken the law. And um, they. Nehemiah says, hey, you know, this isn't a day to be sad. This is a day to enjoy all the sweet things that God has done for us and to celebrate. So they have this day... Of celebration in fact um, I think they probably turned it into a week and you can see that there's this renewed desire to follow God but because of that renewed desire there's also the um, need to have to turn away from some very important things like your foreign wife and your children by this foreign wife and that took a great deal of sacrifice for those who had intermarried sadly a lot of the ones who had intermarried were Levites who were the priests they of all people should have known better so um, we see that the at this time then the uh, people begin to live a totally different style of life they are at this point um, pouring out their heart to God and saying you know we'll do whatever you say from here on so with such renewed um, dedication they that's how they start the t- the period between the, um, the Old and the New Testament and there's going to be about 400 years where there won't be any other prophets preaching, it's just a, a time of silence in scripture and we will see well next week we're going to talk about Esther that will give you a one last little glimpse of what life was like for these people Esther actually takes place before the people are um, really their own nation again. And we don't really know for sure when they became their own nation again. In fact, they may not have become their own nation after that f- without being underneath some other country because, except for I think there was a short period of time when they were. But after being um, occupied or basically under the um, control, of Babylon and then the Medes and the Persians after this in history we know that Alexander the Great comes along the Greek and takes over all of this land so this happens between the Old and the New Testament that the Greeks take over and that changes a lot of things they begin to s- translate and speak in Greek and so forth and then after that we see that um, the Romans take over and so we have now all of the um, influence from the, the Rome, from Rome. Uh, and that prepares the way for the Christ because we know that it's under Roman rule that um, Jesus is born in, in Bethlehem which we will cover in the New Testament okay well that's all I'm going to cover today I know it's a fairly small uh, short lesson But it's it's really got some beautiful things in it. If you have some time to go ahead and read more of Nehemiah, I encourage it, and be sure and read before our next podcast all of Esther. There's there's only just a few chapters to it. It's a very short uh, book. In it, they talk about celebrating Purim, which is at the very end of the chapter of the book of Esther. And as I am taping these, the actually the Jewish community now is celebrating Purim. So this is something that has continued even to this day. Uh, One of the exciting things about studying the Old Testament is that there's history is rich with examples and instruction and with wisdom, and when it carries over to the new testament where we have god's grace and his his uh, spirit within us we we can take from the old testament and use it in in the way that god intended to be a, a a source of salt and light in our world but i know that there are plenty of people who look at the old testament the god of the old testament who was very judgmental in fact you know carrying these people away allowing things to happen to them bringing about punishment again and again and so you may say well why is it that God doesn't do that now but I would challenge you oh but he does and so if if you've ever been in a situation where you knew you were in a place you were not supposed to be because you were not following what God had asked of you uh, I'm sure that you have felt the wrath of God in one form or another um, that and really what it is is a, a call of confession to pull you back um, it's the same God, he just, um, because of Jesus, so much of the sin and, and um, disobedience that we see that was allowed to thrive in the Old Testament is um, covered by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and that grace is what we live in, and it makes it much easier to obey. Okay, well I hope you will be obeying and I hope you will finish up next uh, reading Esther and we will cover that next time and finish with the Old Testament. If you are uh, doing this on your own, there is a final that I normally give at the end of this class and so if you will email me, margie, M-A-R-G-I-E at basicbible101.com, I will email you that Um, final and you can take it and you can either send it back to me and I'll grade it for you or you may feel like if I don't know some of it I'm going to go back and study it uh, again so anyway thank you so much for listening today and until next time be blessed